Imagine classical Christian classrooms with students who are engaged in a deep and lively discussion with fellow students who are located all over the world. Imagine being a small school with a renowned master teacher who instructs the class but who isn't located in your building. Well, long before COVID made online education a reality for many, Nancy and Bob Donaldson launched Wilson Hill Academy and have been positively impacting countless students with a rich online classical Christian education. And few folks have the perspective of both the shortcomings and the advantages of a digitally delivered education in our classical Christian space. So whether you're a parent or an educator, join us for this episode of Basecamp Live as you will hear fresh thoughts and perspectives on this always lively topic. Mountains, we all face them as we seek to influence the next generation. Get equipped to conquer the challenges, summit the peak, and shape exceptionally thoughtful, compassionate, and flourishing human beings. We call it Ancient Future Education for Raising the Next Generation. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Now your host, Davies Owens. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Davies Owens here, grateful as always for taking, you're taking the time to listen and taking time to reach out. I've had quite a number of you send emails to me, info at basecamplive.com, and just share thoughts and comments on recent episodes and thoughts on ideas of episodes to come. You know, there's certainly uh, never a dull moment in our classical Christian space right now, whether it is the rapid surge of new startup schools or the continued growth of many of our existing schools, the formation of new hybrid uh, schools, uh, urban schools, rural schools, international schools, it is an exciting time to see what God is doing in our midst. And at the same time, uh, part of that growth is fueled because the world outside our doors continues to become even more, uh, what do we say, toxic, crazy, confusing. And I think folks are looking for a place to raise the next generation with hope and truth. And that's certainly what we're all about uh, at the same time, we want to be eyes wide open to what's happening in 13th grade and beyond. And so I'm thinking a lot these days, especially about how we are preparing our families, our upper schooler students in particular, as they get ready to launch off to 13th grade. I'd love your thoughts on that. What are you reading? What questions do you have? How do we do a better job of making sure that, that not only do we uh, aim at goals of graduates, which is important, but they are truly calibrated for what's outside our doors to the extent that we can do that, ultimately knowing that God is sovereign and will guide and lead them through the power of His Spirit, which is we're we're certainly grateful for. Uh, always appreciate again those reaching all of you reaching out to me info at basecamplive.com. Love to hear from you. This episode, I want to say a special thanks to our sponsors, Classical Academic Press, CLT, the Classic Learning Test, the Focus Group, and Gordon College. Um, maybe some of you are aware of the. Uh, new Master of Arts in Leadership for Classical Christian School Leaders. It's now in its second year. I've got the privilege of actually being an adjunct professor teaching the Institutional Advancement class, but it's the first of of its kind where those who are interested in leading classical Christian schools can go through a two-year master's degree and actually learn everything from the philosophy of education to just business best practices, marketing, and all of the ins and outs of running a school, which is uh, quite a daunting task without proper training and support. But that's what this is all about. You can learn more at uh, gordon.edu. In this episode, I sit down with Bob and Nancy Donaldson, who are a fascinating couple. And I would certainly say in the uh, in the history of our movement, if you back up a couple of decades, there were a handful of folks Bob and Nancy being one of them, that were very instrumental in those early days of helping to bring to life a lot of the schools that we consider to be very established these days. They were very involved 
in the formative days of the Regent School of Austin there in Texas. And it was a school that influenced them, their children. In those early days, Nancy was teaching classes, everything from Latin and the sciences. She was helping with admissions and faculty search committees and chairing the curriculum committee. So early, early small school days, a far cry from where Regents is today, but there were families like the Donaldsons that were there uh, very early on doing a little bit of everything. Bob was also there serving. He was on the board. He helped with the curriculum committee. He was head of the philosophy committee. And then a number of years later, they, uh, they continued to, to move outside the work of Regents. Bob was serving as a board member uh, at the ACCS for about 20 years, and he was in, uh, as well as being involved in education, he was on his, uh, in, on his non-school time building his career and the application of technology across multiple areas of business and around the world. And so with that background around the early 2000s, uh, God began to put in their heart this idea of how do we bring classical Christian education to a larger world. And as they kept thinking about it, working on it, by 2012, they had founded Wilson Hill Academy uh, to help uh, a broad range of families across the world experience through a digital platform, classical Christian education. And they opened up Wilson Hill Academy in 2014. They're going to tell this whole story in the interview, but these are great folks that were early adopters and have a wonderful perspective on the important work that God is doing around the world raising up the next generation. So without further ado, here is my interview with Nancy and Bob Donaldson. Well, Bob and Nancy Donaldson, welcome to Basecamp Live. Thank you. It's so Provide good. To, well, we're so glad y'all, you're both here. I have uh, We've rubbed elbows with each, with each other over many years at SCL and ACCS conferences, and I've admired your great work. And so let's just jump in. Give folks a sense, Wilson Hill Academy what is the scope and the impact of your work? What And how long have y'all been doing this? Well, we've been doing that, I guess, for about nine years now. And uh, the impact, we've, we actually track the number of students that we've had impact on. And we're up to about 4,500 students who have been in our classes at one time or another. And uh, so we really are having quite a, a broad impact. We've had students from every state. We've yet to have a given year when every state was recommend, represented. And uh, we usually have a dozen or more foreign countries as well. And wow, Bob. So y'all, you guys were before COVID with online things. I was, I mean, you were well before Absolutely. Right. <laughs> you were Zooming before oh, people knew what Zoom was. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. We were one of the first users of Zoom. And in fact, when COVID hit, uh, we were in a position to provide some sort of emergency training to uh, folks in, in schools around the country about how to use Zoom in the classroom and, yeah. and um, some uh, even some recorded content from some of our classes for some of the parents who may have been stranded by school closures. And what's fascinating is you, you, you're really impacting kind of every segment, it sounds like, within the broad scope of classical Christian. So you mentioned homeschool. You mentioned, you know, I mean, hybrids out there. There's the five-day brick and mortar. You guys are able to bring in master teachers to supplement a class. So talk a little bit more. I mean, again, it's amazing. There's not, really not an area of the school movement that it doesn't sound like you guys don't have some role to play. Is that well, a- right. I think you kind of hit the um, you hit the nail on the head, really, because uh, we look for opportunities, of course, to expand our reach. And what we've noticed is there's everything from a co-op that uses our classes to supplement what they're 
doing in their coat. We have a, one of our parents in California actually has a bricks and mortar grammar school. And then along about sixth and seventh grade, she starts enrolling them at Wilson Hill. And so they have a formal co-op, but they also require their students as they're older to take Wilson Hill classes. And then they graduate from Wilson Hill. So it's a, okay. it's a really good partnership that we have with them. Yeah. And we've enhanced courses for schools who couldn't afford a teacher and um, or offered the class when they didn't, they couldn't offer it. Otherwise we're really there to serve the broader community. Yeah. And we've been in that spot where you didn't know who was going to teach logic and to have had a resource like Wilson Hill would have been a huge help. Other than the, uh, the option was somebody had to get the logic videos in the book and learn it themselves and then yeah. teach to the kids. Well, it's a fascinating story. We're going to get to a little later in the, in the interview, talk about just sort of the, the world of, you know, if you say technology and classical Christian, the same sentence, people get kind of twitchy because they're afraid, you know, you're promoting <laughs> smartphones or something. So we'll kind of get to that. But before we do, just back us up a little bit of history here. Um, where, where did the name Wilson Hill come from? Where were you guys back, you know, a decade ago that kind of, how did you get into this? Just tell us your story. Well, you kind of asked two questions, I think. I, I did. Mean, I, I snuck I, two I, questions there. You can do them one at a time, though. But I'll do the Wilson Hill part, but I think maybe Bob would be better to give us a little bit more of the general background of how we ended up where we are, because Wilson Hill came along a bit later okay. in our journey. Okay, yeah. Well, go ahead, Bob. you want to start us out then? Okay, sure. Well, uh, you know, I think that that I grew up with a generational understanding of education just because of the family that I grew up in. And I was, my dad read poetry to us around the kitchen table and I, I developed a love of history and a love of literature and a love of languages and a love of the history of languages uh, all at home. And, uh, and I wanted that kind of love for my own kids. And it turns out that my, my career path was a little different. Um, I was an army Russian linguist for a while and ended up then being involved in software development. So I was supporting the family that way, but I never lost that love of learning. And we really wanted our kids to do that. And so uh, when we were looking around for something there, you know, we, we, we were involved in the starting of Regent School and Nancy can probably tell you a little bit more about that because as often happens in these situations, she was involved in the nuts and bolts and daily details. And I was up in the clouds thinking about it sort of a thing, but, yeah. um, but that's, that's kind of the, the background that made us, we, we wanted our kids to grow up loving learning and loving God and not seeing any disconnect between those two yeah. things. And, and so just again, before the, before Wilson Hill Academy came alive, you were, you were very much there in the early days of Regents, and this is Regents there in Austin. Um, and you right. and you've and you guys have been very, I mean, in that I always say that the whole movement's kind of in that twenty to thirty year window, and y'all were there really early on. Bob, I know you were on the board of ACCS for a while, and um, for a long right. while, I guess. And so, very, very much pioneers in this movement. Um, it sounds like so, very much. Break, yeah, we were, yeah, go ahead. We and we were co-founders at Regents, so yeah, we were in the middle of yeah. that. That that sounds like very much in the middle of that. Yeah. <laughs> so very good. So Nancy, why don't you tell your story there? Yeah, let's hear go ahead. Nancy. School and then, uh, and then well, you know, I think all of us came to this a little bit differently, but uh early on when our I guess when our daughter was probably three or four, maybe uh, a little bit older, we started thinking about what kind of education we wanted her to have. And she had she was in a preschool and 
somewhere along the way, I read Susan McCauley's book for the children's sake. And I, I loved it. I loved everything about it. And I kept thinking, wouldn't it be wonderful if someone could actually have a school that was, uh, that really used those principles, the Charlotte Mason principles for education. And somewhere along the line, a group of people in Austin found a school in Dallas that actually was doing that. And in April of 1992, we all trekked up to Dallas and saw the school and said, yes, let's do that. And that was April and sure we can start in August. <laughs> and we did, uh, it, it was a lot of work, but we, so we really were, um, modeling ourselves after the school in Dallas. And in that, during that summer, one of the people on, uh, involved at Regents in starting it uh, read for, uh, Recovering the Lost Tools of Learning by Douglas Wilson. And we all, and she said, y'all got to read this book. So we all read the book. This was July. And we said, that's what we really want to do. And so we actually had to get permission from the school in Dallas to teach Latin. And we were off and running and trying to put the two together, which not long after that, we realized people would come. We had everybody read for the children's sake and recovering the lost tools of learning. And pretty quickly, people said, well, these don't look the same. But we really believe that you could do both. And so I spent, I spent a lot of time thinking about how that, how the two of them can fit together. And one of the key things uh, was when uh, several of us went to England and visited Charlotte Mason schools. And then I had the opportunity to meet Susan McCauley and we talked to her and she said, well, you know, Charlotte Mason in the British school system, her kids were being prepared to go into classical schools. Mm. And to me, that was the light going off and realizing that they really can fit together and uh, begin to study more about how yeah. it, in practice that could work. Well, Nancy, I've always, you know, I've talked before. I mean, I'm a huge Charlotte Mason fan and Susan, uh, Shaver McCauley was, I think I was like 20 years old at Labrie in Switzerland and it was there with her. And was, I thought oh, someday wow. when I have kids, this will be the model. And, yeah. uh, and, and I remember it was probably around 2005, you were doing a, a workshop, I think at the, at the ACCS conference, and it was wonderfully entitled, Can Charlotte and Dorothy Get Along? And I remember, I believe that was that was your talk. Um, and, it was. And I just thought, that is, thank you for putting that together, because I this is, I, you know, we could shift the podcast topic real quickly over here to why I think classical Christian schools need to have a conversation with Charlotte Mason, who is not just the butterfly and run around the woods lady, but she's really classical and she offers all those methodologies we don't have. So we're all on the same page with that. Um, but just because um, there's so much to talk about, walk me through just where did Wilson Hill name come from? It seems like it should be called Donaldson Hill, but I know it's Wilson Hill. So where did that come from? I wish it sounded, I wish the story was, I don't know, a little more oh. colorful, but um, my mother was a Wilson and the Wilsons moved to Texas from Virginia in 1846. And they settled on property. Well, they it was a land grant and they where they settled eventually became known as Wilson Hill. So the property has been in my family since that time. And once my mother passed away, my brothers and my sister and I had the property and I happened to have the part that has Wilson Hill on it. So Bob and I were, uh, we were, we had formed a uh, limited partnership that was Wilson Hill Investments. And we were sitting in our attorney's office talking about the school. What should we name it? And we threw out all sorts of bad names. 
And he, I think our attorney said, why don't you just call it Wilson Hill Academy? Because it'll be part of Wilson Hill Investments. So it's not too glamorous a story. But um, what we realized is we that the name becomes what it is as we grow the school. And so it has meaning because of what we've done and not necessarily just because of the place. But I can say that my ancestors were Christian and they were committed to education. Mm. And I won't go into all the details of that, but you can, I can tell that it was very important to them. Yeah. And well, so I, it's not just well, pull it out of a hat. And, and I and just add, add to that too, that, that, that the names do have meaning even with their historical uh, significance. And they these were real pioneers. They took real risks to come from Virginia to the wild west of Texas when the when the Comanches were still running around and stuff like that to carve out a life a life for themselves. And and in that sense, you know, there's a there's we're we're taking risks. We're pioneers in some ways, yeah. not, not lone pioneers, and neither were they. But but we're pioneers in this space, both the classical space and the the online classical Christian education space. Well, and Bob, I think that's a great transition. We're going to take a little break, and we come back. I want to talk about just this marriage, if you will, between uh, classical Christian education and and technology. And and speaking of kind of uh, pioneering and probably some fiery darts coming at you or, or arrows, as it may be, I'm sure you guys have had to fend off lots of flying arrows in the classical Christian space for what on earth are you guys doing with technology? And um, and I love that you, you guys are not, you know, 20-something dot-comers trying to per- persuade us. You guys have been on the journey. You were at the pioneer there. You get you get the best of classical Christian in its brick-and-mortar sense. But you see an opportunity, and you've, and you've executed that opportunity so beautifully. So we're going to come back after the break and talk a little bit more about the world of technology and classical Christian education. We'll be right back. Gordon College is one of the nation's premier Christian colleges and located just north of Boston. We offer students extraordinary access to leading-edge opportunities for intellectual, professional, and leadership development. We prepare graduates for the increasingly complex challenges of a global society. In the tradition of Boston's great liberal arts institutions, we are what Harvard used to be, a place where a strong faith and a strong intellect are complementary, not contradictory. Gordon is a place where we'll be better prepared for a greater purpose. Find out for yourself. Check out gordon.edu and plan a visit to campus. Well, Bob and Nancy, welcome back. I want to jump into this big topic of online education and what does it look like? So let's just start with that, Bob. Just really, I mean, I think, again, probably COVID is probably skewed thinking where it's like, oh, I'll never do that again. I'll never want my kid to be strapped to a laptop computer all day long. Uh, misery, misery. I can't wait to get him back in a, a real school. So you guys are, again, back to the flying arrows at you. You, you've, you've, you have deflected a lot of these. Explain to folks just in a simple, I'll be a parent for a minute, convince me why this is such a great format. Sure. And and we certainly have received some arrows, and uh, including that uh, real school moniker because we think we think we are a real school and and the 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 challenge I think is to dis- distinguish between what we're doing with online classical Christian education and what has been sort of foisted on parents by teachers who might have been very good teachers but who are not at all trained in the technology they sometimes had to deal with a live classroom plus the online version I mean it was just it, it's no wonder. 
it was a problem. It does take some training for a teacher to do a good job in this environment. You, you can't, you don't have the same kind of connection with your class, but you still do have a connection. You just have to change, you have to exchange the, the postage stamp view of the faces and the chat box stream for the, you know, the posture and the and and the other cues of attention that you get when you're in an in a in a, a bricks and mortar classroom. Yeah. And so what this looks like for for our parents is that the, the kids come to school in blocks of 90 minutes, which is a long time, but it, but they've the classes move quickly. The teachers are skilled in holding people's attention and moving through the material. And you know, we follow the kinds of educational guidelines that good teachers always ought to follow in terms of not not doing things for the kids that they can do for themselves, but encouraging them to do those things and 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 uh, and interacting with them in that way in the classrooms. And they meet just twice a week then during that period of time. So that gives them, even with a full load of classes, that gives them a substantial amount of time, not on computers, maybe on things that aren't even school, but certainly for the, the preparation and that makes them active participants in the next uh, school. And so it leaves them a lot of flexibility for how they order their day and their lives. So so a typical classroom obviously is made up of uh, students from the ends of the earth all coming together. It went, I mean, it's probably a combination. Sometimes it's uh, you know, a single school that needs a teacher in that classroom. And so I guess that's almost the reverse, right? Where the teacher comes technically into the classroom and the kids right. are sitting there. And then there's a reverse where the kids are scattered. So how does community work out? I mean, I would think there's some real advantages in the sense you get lots of different perspectives. If it's, you know, a student and talking about the Revolutionary War and there's one student from the UK and one student from the US, that would make a very interesting classroom discussion. So I'm sure you have some advantages <laughs> like that, right? <laughs> I've had that class. Oh, have you? Okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's fascinating. I've had a, had a Canadian in my U.S. government class one year, and it was fascinating. <laughs> yeah, for that that yeah. perspective on it. But uh, I don't know, Nancy. You've thought about this community a lot. Well, I think so because that's what's really important. The kids get to know each other in a class. And one of the ways we know that community is happening is at the end of every year we have a get together of in-person get-together for the last two years. We Well, actually, one year we were in North Carolina, and this last year and also in 2019, we were at the YMCA camp in Estes Park. Mm. And I, I'm sorry this is just audio, but I would show you a video of what it's like because the kids, they've gotten to know each other. They know their teachers. They've been with them for nine months. And they get out of their cars and really they run and hug each other. And about the only comment is, gee, you're taller than I thought you would be, or you're shorter than I thought you would be, or things like that. And right. But the relationships that have been built are so evident. And I, I, the other day, I had a representative of our crediting agency who came to visit in our office. And I showed our showed her our video from the end of school. We have a commencement ceremony as part of that. And she looked at it and she said, you know what? I mean, we were, it was our ceremony and they were hugging each other and passing out the diplomas and all that. And she said, you know, I can tell there's something going on in your school because this kind of relationship didn't just happen when they met each other at the event. Mm. So that is it's really important to us that we have this event, that we provide for as many teachers as possible to be there. And we just 
we just really encourage our parents to come and bring their kids. And many of them, it's their vacation. Mm. And they, they absolutely, they, all we have to do is get them all there once. And then the kids are like, we're going back next year. <laughs> and yes, that's where we want to go on vacation. Yeah. And they really do tell us that. Yeah. And, so and we have, that's, I'm sorry. No, we just that's an important aspect of community. We have other things too. Yeah. We do we have a house system. Kids meet together for that. We have junior classical league. Kids, it, they'll come to Link and they have a meeting there. Um, Link is our end of school event, but they they meet regularly during the year. Um, there are other opportunities for them to get together. And we have families that actually, once they get to know each other a little bit, they then meet to camp in Georgia or somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, they built building the community. It's not just in our classes, but right. it happens out. Which is so helpful because I think most folks listening are thinking they're comparing obviously to a typical seven to three o'clock brick and mortar experience. And Bob, you mentioned like a 90 minute class. So what would be in a normal day if my child is at Wilson Academy, how many classes, how many 90 minute segments would they have? Uh, that's my part one of my question. Then part two is I get literature discussions, but how do you do science? Uh, what does that look like? Yeah, well, I mean, typically uh, our students will take four or five sections, four or five classes uh, a year, sometimes six. Uh, sometimes they'll take three and they're doing other things that are transferable for credit to uh, to Wilson Hill. So they may have a, a community college that they take their math from or something like that. And uh, so a typical day is they might meet, uh, you know, Classes either meet Monday, Wednesday, or Tuesday, Thursday. So they will have a couple of 90-minute blocks. Most students try to avoid three classes in a row because that just mm-hmm. it, you're, you're just running from one section to another. That's what I did, by the way, when I went to a bricks and mortar college. Uh, I didn't I didn't want to go running from one class to another in that five-minute exchange period. So it's similar to that that kind of a, a yeah. thing. And then again, the ones that are most successful have the the kind of parental support and encouragement to be diligent about the work between classes. So I may have two 90 minute sections, but I may spend two or three hours working on prep for the next day's classes or, or that yeah. sort of thing. And so, uh, and it's, so it's, there's that, that, that kind of rhythm yeah. that gets into the day. And several of our students do things like uh, they're, you know, they're expecting to attend college on a tennis con, uh, scholarship and they're they're competing professionally or sem- semi-professionally even almost and uh, or in ballet or drama or something like that. So we're really a good fit for people like that yeah. who have those sorts of, of very significant time commitments that just are not compatible with a bricks and mortar school schedule. Makes total sense. So, so I was asking about science. So what does that look like? I mean, do you mail... <laughs> uh, you know, mail things out. I mean, the kids have experiments they're doing locally, and then you kind of talk about it as a group. Is that how that works? Yeah, you've you hit on you've hit on one of our hot buttons. Oh, uh, I'm good at that. <laughs> Nancy has a degree in uh, zoology, actually, and one of one of our our joint observations, but hers especially, has been that that science gets a, a short shrift at a lot of classical schools, and we really did want to do a good job with that. So, Nancy, why don't you take it away on that? Um, we teach all levels of science, all the way through AP biology, AP chemistry, um, and some other AB classes. But we we um, we wanted to really provide 
quality science for the kids that prepares, prepares them for college. As far as experiments go, sometimes a teacher will record a lab and then the kids will make their observations and draw conclusions based on the recording of the lab. Uh, we also have had kids uh, purchase kits that have small small apparatus they need to use and small amounts of chemicals and they actually do their experiments at home. So we 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 really try to bring it alive for them and mm -hmm. have them do the same thing at home. Um in that in any of our, our chemistry, our biology, That's what um, that is all amazing. The same thing. So we want to we we want to give them opportunities to actually experience what is yeah. it like to do science. Uh, we think that's really important. I remember, Anthony. It's really important that we have uh, that we have really master teachers who are mm -hmm. who are can bring a Christian worldview to science and deal with all of the data and all of the current hypotheses and poke holes in the ones that don't fit with a Christian worldview instead of sort of uh, burying our heads in the sand right. and using a, a, a 1980s approach to science and hoping the kids survive when they go to college. <laughs> So glad to, that's like a whole nother podcast we should use on that topic. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, that's, that's great to hear. Cause again, I think some of the stereotypes are, well, I guess you have to give that up and, oh, we got to give that up. So I want to go back. You mentioned house program. I'm really intrigued by this, Nancy, because it seems like, again, one of the things that probably would be hard to replicate in an online environment would be house. And knowing that so much of, of kind of uh, formation of affections and loves is happening through those peer-based interactions. So it's not just the teacher. What does house look like? What is that peer-to-peer -peer, uh, kind of just, how do you recreate the hallway conversations, if I can frame it that way? Well, I think kids figure that out pretty quickly. <laughs> but um, <laughs> our houses, every student who in seventh through 12th grade is in a house. Now, seventh, eighth, and I think it's ninth graders are in a junior house. And then when they're in high school, they're in the regular house. But we provide activities for both of them. We have teachers who are house sponsors. The kids get together and they're house leaders. So they get together and they come up with all sorts of projects. One year they were, um, they made, they had a cake baking contest. I, I would, again, I would love to show people what these look like that these kids came up with. I was just amazed but they always have some sort of competition uh, as part of their house activities yeah. during the year. And they share them online. They share the photos. And I don't know how much conversation goes on between the kids, but I think it must be a whole lot. Well, so, I, yeah, that's helpful. Well, it just, in, just as an anecdote along those yeah. two, one of the classes I teach is a, is a composition class. And there's a number of, free writing exercises they have and including trying to describe the action of a of a of, of a meeting you know just so we learn there's a lot of principles about that but i always have at least one student who describes a house meeting hmm. and who, who talks about what's going on there and so forth and it's clearly you know one of their sort of uh you know the highlights of of their school uh experience is this sort of peer-to-peer relationship and they are they're amazingly clever at how they yeah overcome the distance and still build this sort of thing you know the, the virtual scavenger hunts and who knows what yeah no that's really I, I, yeah, go ahead I was gonna say, oh sorry they're earning points through the year for various kinds of competition and then the final competition is at we have a field day at link and they earn points during field day and then we have a house trophy that we award 
every year at length to the house that had the most points throughout the year. And that's a pretty big deal. Um, that in that house. No, that, that, that's fantastic. I love that you actually get everyone together. Um, so, I mean, how does that, I'm just thinking, so I mean, you, you've got folks you're saying right at the beginning scattered all over the place. I mean, but most folks make that a priority, tie their vacation to it, come together for that, that join up time at the end of the school year. So, so before we get a break, I want to come back uh, to this, just really, I think, trying to help folks understand. Uh, I often talk on the podcast about Cyclops, you know, kind of the one-eyed screen monster that uh, we call it the 301 problem, where we're pretty good in our brick and mortar schools at kind of regulating technology, 745 to 3 o'clock. But at 301, despite many best efforts, especially by the time they get into high school, the smartphones come out and then, you know, statistics being what they are, we know we're classical. So we're probably not at the seven to nine hours that the average high schooler is on their phone. Uh, but it's going to be a big influence. So, you know, I've talked to schools that have also said, we don't even want to promote social media at our school because we just don't want to do anything to add to the attraction of technology. So again, what do you say to the parent that's just right out of the bat, like, oh, not any more time on a screen? How, how do you because I believe there are good things about it. It's not a, it's like fire. You can burn yourself and you can also warm yourself. So how do you, how do you wisely use that technology? Well, <laughs> I, I was just going to say, go ahead. I think we need to, I, and I, I'm, I'm not saying everybody who does this falls in this category, but we need to avoid becoming modern day Amish. Uh, it's not the technology that's the problem, even if the technology introduces some challenges and, and makes some kinds of sinfulness and sinful behavior and waste of time more able. So I think one of the key things that we do is that we we uh, we make the screen time deliberate and effective. So the kids, when, when the kids are in class, they're in class. They're, uh, the fact that there's a computer that they're staring at is a necessary part of the way we have class, but they're not you know, staring out the window or staring out the computer window for the most part. And um, so I think that's the that's the big thing. And in terms of of outside of class, at some level we can we can encourage, but we can't control. And that's a that's a family and a parental mm-hmm. sort of a thing. True. Go ahead. Nancy. Right. And I was just I was gonna say that it's really a purposeful use of the technology. If you came to one of our classes, and as a teacher, this was one of the hardest things for me to get used to, and that is we have a chat box. And during the time the class is going on, the chat is for older, some of the younger kids, we don't do this, but for the older kids, the chat is open, and we ask them to stay on topic. So the teacher may be talking, but it, if you put it into a bricks and mortar look, uh, situation, you would think everybody was talking at once because the kids are interacting with the teacher and with each other in the chat while the class is going on. So the, the challenge for a teacher is to pay attention to the chat and keep that as part of the whole conversation that's mm. going on. That's really interesting. That keeps the kids engaged. It's a really interesting, again, so many of these things could be, again, longer discussions, which would be fascinating because I think we often pride ourselves as classical Christian folks, rightly so, saying, you know, we're not about sit and get or sage on the stage. You know, we really want to be mind on mind engagement. We want kids to be actively thinking. It's not just the. So that's a very interesting advantage that you wouldn't, 
you just couldn't have another way to have everybody on topic contributing. Um, so that's, it's a fascinating component. Yeah. For, yeah. Go ahead, Bob. And just further on that, I just, just today, I, we've got a poetry, uh, uh, unit, if you will, in our advanced comp class where we're doing poetry explications. And so we pulled up a couple of poems, Second Coming by uh, William Butler Yeats and Dover Beach by Matthew Arnold. And, and we just went through that as a class. And that chat box, I promise you, that went for, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. a line because, because everybody was jumping in with their observations and then playing off each other's observations. And then I was pulling people onto the microphone as I saw things that really needed to be elaborated on and highlighted wow. and responding to them. And it was a very interactive class. It was every bit as interactive as a college level poetry course that I took. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe more so. Sounds great. And it's just, again, things you don't think about, but you're right. You guys have pioneered how to maximize that technology and that experience. Well, why don't we take a quick break? I want to come back. I'm, I'd be curious to kind of get your thoughts on you. Where do your teachers come from? What's your, what's your sense of what's coming in the future? I mean, technology changes so fast. Um, you know, what is that going to allow you to do? Maybe you haven't done worse some risk with that. So a lot of things uh, that we want to continue this conversation about as well as helping parents and schools think about ways in their context to maximize technology. We'll be right back with Nancy and Bob Donaldson. Do you wonder if the traditional system of higher education is the best way to keep your student on the path to flourishing? Are you tired of having to choose between a solid Christian education and practical, marketable skills? We've got good news. You don't have to settle, and your student doesn't have to make the choice between a solid Christian education and skills development. At Excel College, we've combined a world-class, classical Christian education with an apprenticeship model that allows students to gain hands-on experience in the field of their choice while providing them with the context to grow intellectually, spiritually, practically, professionally, and missionally, all the while graduating debt-free. At Excel College, students learn how to build a life, not just make a living. Want to find out more? Sign up for a virtual presentation on our website at www.thexcelcollege.com backslash visit. He's worked with families for more than 30 years as a licensed professional counselor and marriage family therapist. It's time for a quick encouragement on the best practices of raising the next generation. We call it a McCurdy moment. So Keith, sometimes uh, folks intending well can get so knotted up trying to figure something out. They have, I think the phrase is, uh, you know, paralysis of analysis. Like we think and we think and we think. Do we do that sometimes as parents intending well and then we just make a mess of it because we've tried to sort out too many variables at the same time about our kids? Yeah, absolutely. I was on a, uh, on a call yesterday with some parents and, you know, as they spoke about what was going on with their child and, and paused, and said, what do you think? My comment was, stop thinking psychologically. And what I mean by that is the questions they were constantly asking were, why is she doing this? Why is she doing this? Why is she doing this? And that is a, that's psychological mindedness. We assume there is a motive behind everything we see that we don't understand in a child. And the problem with that is because we have a negative confirmation bias, we're assuming the answer is negative or dysfunctional. And I, and I instruct parents all the time, stop asking why. I mean, a majority of things that we see going on with our children, we will never understand, and they don't even know why they're doing it. It's part of childhood. It's part of brokenness that needs shaping and direction. 
What we need to ask is very simply, what is happening? And is it inappropriate? If it's inappropriate, we hold it accountable, we deal with it, we teach. If it's not inappropriate, it's just weird or quirky or different, leave it alone. Don't worry about it. And when parents step back and stop asking why, as this dad said, he said, man, he said, if I do that, uh, that'll free up half my day. <laughs> That's okay. So I think we, we really have to stop thinking so psychologically about our children. Yeah. Well, when we live in that age of, of, of professional, uh, professionals everywhere, and, and there's this uh, attitude, I think, that um, everybody's an expert, and, and therefore we all need to study up and Google our way through it. And you know what? Sometimes you're right. It's not so complicated, which is freeing. It's good news. This is not a... Yeah, it's good news. Sometimes it's not so complicated. Well, thanks for that encouraging reminder, Keith. You're welcome. Got a question for Keith to answer on a future McCurdy moment? Well, send it to us at info at basecamplive.com and learn more about Keith McCurdy on the speaking page on the Basecamp Live website. So Bob and Nancy, as we think about this world of online education, um, you know, we always say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree in the sense that our students become like the teacher. It's a biblical principle. Teachers are really, really important. Where do you find your teachers? Well, I really think the Lord finds the teachers for us because it can be word of mouth for someone who has a student in our school. You know, we have we have a lot of people who work for us right now, so they have relationships in their churches, uh, in their communities, and it, it just different places. Um, we have a careers page on our website that someone can look at, but primarily I think it's word of mouth. And when we're looking for teachers, uh, we're looking for particular qualities in that teacher. And we want someone who is qualified and we have, it, you know, that's the beauty of being online because you can live anywhere as long as you have an internet connection and you're in the time zone you're willing to get out of bed for, then um, you can teach for us. And so we're looking for teachers. We have four core values. And one of them is, the first one is that they embrace the three loves, that they love God, they love their subjects, and they love their students. Because when those three things are present, learning can take place. Mm -hmm. We want teachers who ser serve with humble competence. You know, we have a, a high number of PhDs, master's degrees on our teaching staff, but we want people who are humble about the knowledge that they have and that they're, um, they're encouraging to the students in the way they deliver it. They're not know-it-alls. They really are alongside the students. Uh, we serve professionally, and that has to do with how you dress for your class, how you write an email. Um, I care about stuff like that, and we do. We, when we talk to a teacher and when we evaluate, we use our core values, and we will address issues um, yeah. that don't meet those. And then the last one, we are team players and we're enthusiastic team players. And a, an example of that is that we had a teacher several years ago who passed away the day before I meet the teacher. He was a key teacher in our school, a very loved teacher. And I have, within 24 hours, we practically had all of his classes covered and his wife's classes covered for about six weeks. Wow because people were willing to step in and fill the gap. That's and that to me was amazing. Yeah, but that's, that's what we're looking for. Those are the people that we're looking for. 
and we're we're very careful when we hire a teacher. I mean, you can imagine in the world we live in, you put somebody in a classroom with a bunch of kids on the internet, all kinds of things can go well, wrong. Okay. That's so, kind of, well, that's what I'm asking because I'm sure people are thinking that. Like, what is this just some guy in the back of Starbucks you guys found? Like, no. Okay. <laughs> well, and we do do we we do uh, perform uh, background checks, sure, of course, and things like yeah. that. But reverence is all you know. Many of our teachers have come from places where they taught, maybe in a bricks and mortar school mm -hmm. for a number of years. Maybe they they moved, maybe their spouse got a job in a different place, or maybe they just want to retire, but they don't really want to stop teaching. They just want to mm -hmm. move to a different place. We've got a wonderful teacher who joined us this year who's just moved to rural Arkansas someplace. And mm -hmm. uh, apart from the stray tornado, she's been doing very well out there. And, and uh, and and doing doing well teaching classes for us so that's the kind of thing we really look for master teachers yeah. people yeah. who really know and and more importantly even love their subjects and they are still learning about their subjects yeah. one of our teachers gave a teacher training uh talk at link to the staff a couple of years ago about uh teaching you know drinking from fresh streams not not teaching from the same PowerPoint slides and the same lecture notes, but really teaching the stuff that you're fresh and learning about because mm -hmm. that's what that's what really catches the kids' uh, yeah. attention. So those are the teachers we've that been able great. to find. Yeah. As Nancy says, God keeps leading more to us as He does to any of our brick and mortar schools. But uh, but what a, what a unique and, opportunity you have. Yeah. And speaking of brick and mortar, we've had several teachers who teach in brick and mortar schools and have worked it out with their administrators such that they can come in and teach a class for us a couple of days a week. And that's been fantastic. We, yeah. We've really enjoyed that. And some of our parents, some of, you know, they'll come in and say, you know, I'd really like to teach a class because they really, they are involved in their kids' education. And this is kind of a natural next step for mom who raised six kids. And now what? Yeah, you know. So, how, how many? Inter how big is international for you? Do you have a lot of students and teachers internationally? We we do. We've had we've got a teacher who's been teaching from Australia since almost the beginning of the school. We've got a teacher in uh, the United Kingdom. Uh, we've got a teacher or maybe two in Mexico. Uh, we've got. Uh, a group of students in Indonesia. We have a number of missionary and and foreign service and military families that are, attend from Germany or the United Kingdom or Turkey. I've had students in my class from Israel, from Armenia, wow. from Peru. Uh, you know, there. So we we get quite a number in terms of percentages. We probably have uh, five or six percent of our people come from Canada and. 80 or 85 percent come from the u.s and the rest are, are scattered Everywhere. around yeah well it's certainly yeah. growing and that's why i ask i just think it's it's again a, a wonderful uh mechanism to to connect people small schools uh, big schools anywhere in the world so uh, just Bob, shift gears for a second um and i know you've got with your technology background you were the right guy at the right time to kind of figure out how to merge these worlds and um you know I, you and I go back a years in the technology world that you probably remember back in the nineties, you know, you could build a website, but to put a video on it was just like the most awe inspiring thing. And it was this little postage stamp, jumpy little thing. And it was a video. And, and I think how far we've come. So as you look, you know, into the future, what, what do you anticipate in the next five, 10 years that would be um, happening kind of broadly in this online learning space? What are some of the, the good things and maybe some of the concerns you see? Well, 
you know, one of the concerns I see when it comes to technology and education and other things as well is there's a tendency to overestimate what we can actually accomplish with the technology itself and underestimate the, the speed at which technology develops. And, and, and so when that gets taken together, we, we really have a, a recipe for a disaster if we're not careful. So, I, you know, I was talking to someone just the other day about uh, this great new technological tool called a library where someone has accumulated all these things and organized them and labeled them. And all I have to do as a research guy is find the right shelf. Uh, and that describes my college experience, right? Mm -hmm. A long time ago. Um, we have much different approaches to research now, much different approaches, like you suggested with the, the videos and now virtual reality. We can actually go into a tour of Kublai Khan's ice palace uh, <laughs> that only ever existed in the mind of, of a drug. And not even have to get cold. It'll be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, so it's amazing the kinds of things we do and all those things we ought to ought to take advantage of. I mean, I went on a tour of the Yorktown battlefield, you know, uh, and, and they've, they've got, I didn't take the time to do the, the video version of that, but they've got uh, a guide that, that takes you through everything. But uh, so all that's wonderful, but I think we need to be careful to come back to the fundamental truth about education, which is it's relational. It's 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 the passing passing on not of stuff, but of an appreciation for the stuff, a love of the stuff, an ability to to discern uh, good from bad, true from false, beautiful from ugly, and and that's the sort of thing that has to be relational. So I would say the future of digital learning is to to take advantage of all the promise without depending on it to replace that essential relational component. One of the things, it's a, kind of a throwaway line, but we put on our website in the very early days before we taught our first class, which is that we want to leverage technology to take the distance out of distance learning. Mm. That's good. That's really good. Well, what just to kind of wind our time down now, thinking about those parents are listening, just considering... Uh, just where this might fit into their their own children's educational journey. Just what advice or encouragement do you have to parents? Well, I was thinking when Bob was talking about all the technology and the opportunities, is that we never want to lose the fact that the development of the mind and the imagination. And when you think about it, a student with a book and, and in their own mind coming up with what the picture was like based on the author's description, you never want to get away from that because that's part of developing as a person. And I think that's one of the dangers of technology because, you know, in our family, kids had to read the book before that we would let them watch the movie. And I remember my kids saying, you know, those characters look just like I thought they would, or I can't believe how they made that person or that character in a movie. It's nothing like the book. So those are the conversations. And I really think that, um, when we think about a child or any of us, we don't want to lose that ability to uh, use our minds for imagination and creativity. Mm -hmm. And so that would be a danger of the education. And I guess advice to parents is you can't read enough mm -hmm. for your kids. 
or have them read and to make that such a priority. I see in our world, it's, it just kind of falls away. And there've been recent, uh, I've read recent statistics on how many books, if you just read to your child, you know, in the morning and before bed or something like how many, how many books they would have uh, read by the time they're five years old. Mm. And I'm a big proponent of that. Um, I just don't think you can trade it. No. And I think we need, we need when we use the technology and we leverage that technology, we want to remember that it's purpose and not begin to make the technology the thing. Right. Nancy, that's beautifully said. And, and, and a message I think needs to be said more often because I think you're right. I think people see technology and they think, well, then let's just put all the books online and then let's animate the books. And then, wait, hold on, we missed the whole point. That you're, you're using it only to spur interest to then go read the book, the physical thing on the shelf and allow their minds to engage. Beautiful reminder. Uh, Bob, maybe kind of thinking about it from, or, or Nancy, you can answer this too, but just the those who are listening who perhaps are heads of schools, maybe they're in a rural school, they're trying to recruit for a teacher they can't seem to find or... Uh, maybe they're just, uh, you know, looking at uh, ways to to participate more. What are some What are some advice you have? Some opportunities that they would have? Sure. Well, you, you know, we every situation is is unique, and and uh, we we've kind of learned that by trying to start out thinking they'd all be the same. But uh, but we've we have a variety of ways that we cooperate with people. We we've we there's a small school in uh, Alpine, Texas, that has three or four or five kids per grade above sixth grade, and they just sign them up for our classes. And they sign them up as, as any parent would, except that we're they, they meet together in essentially a study hall kind of a room. Every kid has their own computer and they've got a study hall monitor that performs the sort of stay on task uh, job that a mom might do if she were in the other room working on something. And, uh, and, and that works really well for them. We've got a, a, a the school that in California that Nancy mentioned earlier that started out kind of a co-op. They've actually formed a grammar school, but they they use our classes for almost all their hmm. their their courses, uh, and then push it off on the parents to sign up for high school with Wilson Hill Academy. We've gone in and we've taught a, a math class or a Greek class or something like that for a school that really wanted to offer a particular thing but couldn't find a. a a, a teacher we had and that those can be a closed class we did for a, a missionary school in thailand we taught ap calculus one year we found uh one of our teachers who could teach at 8 30 at night which was 8 30 in the morning in thailand it worked really well um and uh and, and but they also will just integrate them into our our own classes so there's a a, a school in pennsylvania that that always has a few kids that are at a different level than the other people in their grade. So they sign up for our composition class and we'll get two or three kids from the same school, but they each have their own computer. They're in the same class. Yeah. Um, and then there's, there's the situation where uh, I didn't have any trouble recruiting this great, you know, math teacher. I just can't keep them busy and I can't pay them enough to stay. So, well, you know, let's talk about that because we may need a math teacher. Right, and so we can we can work things out and and do the schedule. So there's a lot of ways we've been very creative. Our our love, Nancy and I both, and I think really pretty much everybody at Wilson Hill, our love is for education and for Christian education and for generational Christian education, and we can't do it all ourselves. Um, 
but we can certainly do what we can to help everybody. Hmm. And that's that's kind of our approach when it comes to these rural schools who may have unique needs. Yeah. Well, I, I hear adaptability, and, and that's something that we need, we need in our world today probably more than ever and, and in light of trying to be faithful to this tradition of classical Christian education. Well, Bob and Nancy, thank you so much for your your faithfulness, your vision, the the work you've done over the years. Can't wait to see kind of what, what the next five, 10 years hold. We'll have, hold. I'm sure there'll be like the 3D, uh, you know, Obi-Wan teacher there that appears on your desk or something. Maybe um, maybe that's not a good thing, but uh, we can have that conversation later. Hey, if folks want to know more about you, I guess wilsonhillacademy.com, is that the best place to go, I would think? It okay. is. Okay, great. Well, great. Well, thank you both so much. I really appreciate your insights and your encouragement to us, and we look forward to, to talking with you again. Hey there, Base Camp Live listeners. This is Davy's daughter, Hannah, here, and I want to congratulate this amazing podcast on almost five years of incredible content, enriching interviews and over 200 episodes. So that has brought so much encouragement to people. And thank you for being a part of that. Thank you for supporting this message, this mission. And there are a couple ways that you can help in sharing that message. First of all, please leave a five-star review on whatever app you are using to listen to this podcast. You can also share it with a friend. That's a great way to get the message out about Basecamp Live. And of course, share your story with us at info at basecamplive.com. There we'll also answer all your questions and more. And any topics that you'd like to hear too, please send them there to info at basecamplive.com. We'll see you next week, everybody. Thanks.